Welcome to the Kink Sense Podcast. I am Ori. I am Elise. And we're going to get right into a really, really, really special interview that we got into um, at DomCon that Elise secured for us again. Are we noticing a pattern here? <laughs> um, and I, I'm just going to, I'm going to step back here and let Elise kind of brief our listeners on this. I'm, I'm super excited to share this with everybody. Um, at DomCon, one, we were able to um, connect with one of the presenters there. Her name is Shweta Mittal. She is a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, and she also, this is the cool part, I think, is that uh, in the last year or so, she decided to come out publicly um, and professionally as somebody who is uh, involved in a kink lifestyle in a um and is part of a leather family called the kink collective and um, is really really interested in exploring the connections between kink and mental health but they're doing a lot of cool conversations um making a lot of interesting connections between what happens in the bedroom and what happens in our brain and in the, re- the rest of our life and um, how to make best use of all of that. It's hard to find a better example of somebody on the front lines um, working to fight the negative stigma around kink and doing it through the field of psychology, which um, quite frankly has a long way to go in terms of um, accepting and educating themselves on kink to give um, competent advice, but this is an example of somebody really putting in a lot of work towards that, and I'm I'm super excited to share this with you guys. So we're gonna get right to it. Here is our interview with Shweta. All right. Well, hi. Can you help me with the uh, correct pronunciation of your name? Because I want to make sure I get that right. Yes, thank you. It's Shweta. Shweta. Okay. Yeah. And your last name is? Mithil. Mithil. Okay, Shweta Mithil. Thank you for coming on with thank us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming to the King Sense podcast. Um, we are here at the DomCon 2022 in New Orleans. Shweta was uh, one of the presenters here. Uh, she's already done one that we got to see. And you have a second one coming up. I've actually done three classes. Oh, shit. Uh, we, we stepped in uh, King Collective, my leather family. We so, we stepped in because some of the presenters couldn't make it. So gotcha. there were gaps in the schedule. So You guys improvised. Yeah. So I've taught three now. I've oh. got, I think, one more left tomorrow. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, so you've been very, very busy. Um, yeah. And you have a... I, so I have lots of questions um, and want to hear all about uh, your experience. But let's uh, sort of back up a little bit. I can get ahead of myself. Um, would you uh, share with us any um, orientations or uh, like professional kink sexual that makes sense to share in this space yeah happy and thank you so much for having me i'm so excited this is my first podcast um i'm used to other people being on podcasts and supporting them so i feel like very official right now nice (laughs) so i am a clinical psychologist licensed in new york i work with first responders and i've been doing this for well over a decade I also am pansexual and polyamorous, mm-hmm. and I am also a child of immigrants. I'm East Indian, so I grew up in a very uh, limiting culture when it came uh, to sexuality and expression and you know the trajectory life was going to take. Yeah. And I think through some of my experiences and always like personality-wise, not being a conformist person, always being accepting yeah. and non-judgmental of others, I've always gravitated towards people who were just different and didn't fit the mold because I felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. Yeah. And I was constantly too much or not enough. And it it, it was a big struggle to not find any place that I belonged. Oh, I relate. Yeah. So I think that's what drew me to psychology. So that's how I ended up there. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm also a psychedelic practitioner. I've been in training with the Synthesis Institute and I am halfway certified. I'll be fully certified in the next few months. And so when you know m- mushrooms become legalized in multiple states, yeah, I'll be able to do that kind of work. But right now I'm doing a practicum with ketamine-assisted ther- therapy. Mm. Okay, very cool. I'm I have lots of questions probably off podcast, <laughs> but one more thing because yeah. you're asking about identities. I'm also a lifestyle submissive. Ah, so there we BD- go. Okay, BDSM is a really big part of my <laughs> life. I was like, wait, that's the main reason we're here, and I forgot to mention it. Okay, cool. Um, and it's a big part of my identity because okay. I don't really care about gender or 
I care about personality and I care yeah. about connection. And for me, the safest, quietest, most peaceful place I've been mm. is in the submissive headspace. Yeah. So while I have lots of other kinky identities, I'm a middle, a little, uh, I'm a budding rope top, um, uh, sometimes heavy bottom, but I, the, the one, I'm a princess all the time. Yeah. But the one that... that I, I know one of those. <laughs> we have a lot in common. Yes. Yeah. I, I was admiring your style and nail polish. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so uh, there's a there's a lifestyle piece here. There's also a professional advocacy piece here for you. Yeah. Also, that we heard you talk a little bit more, a, a little bit about on Thursday. Could you share kind of yeah. your work there? This is actually really new for me. I had consulted for my friend's private practice a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic started. So when we actually went into lockdown, I was working with clients mm-hmm. remotely for the first time. But the clients I worked with were graduate students at mm-hmm. like a university who happens to be queer, gender nonconforming, and people interested in kink or polyamory. Um, and they didn't really have a space where they felt all their identities were being honored. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, you hear when people go to therapy to talk about their issues, the minute their um, sexual or gender identity comes up or yeah. that orientation impacts their treatment, a lot of the providers don't know what to do with it and the, the, the course of therapy can change or you don't get the full picture, yeah. right? Because yeah. re- a lot of people go for relationship issues, whether it's our relationship with ourselves or with other folks. Absolutely. And if you don't understand the big picture or you're judgmental about it. Yeah, or th- yeah, if, you're, if your client feels like they can't share everything because they, they're desperate for help and they um, don't feel like they'll be seen or taken seriously or maybe even like reported in some way, right? Like yeah. there's safety issues yeah. for people. Yeah. And I mean, every con- I've been going to cons since I first came out into the scene almost 10 years ago. Okay. Um, in 2014. So that's when you, uh, that was like... That's when it stuck. So I tried okay. coming into the scene and, and exploring this side of myself mm-hmm. for a very long time. I okay. mean, in hindsight, looking back, I have a lot of early memories of fantasies and things that were just like not what people typically report. That doesn't mean they don't have them. They don't talk about them. There we go, yeah. And so I always felt like something must be wrong with me. And then back when the internet was new, like, you know, I did the chat room thing. I was in my teens talking to people I probably shouldn't have been talking to. Um, (laughs) Not realizing if they're talking to a 16-year-old, I should be worried. Yeah. But, (laughs) But I couldn't tell then if I liked being told what to do because I was submissive. And, yeah. and, or if it was because I was inexperienced. Yeah, or, si- or 16. And right. because of my background, mm. I was inexperienced for another 10 years almost. Yeah. So it was hard to know how much was what. And I think it clicked for me in college. I've always had a thing for fairy tales. And in college, I accidentally picked up the Anne Rice book. The claiming of Sleeping Beauty, not realizing oh. what adult fairy tale meant. Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> when I got home and I realized, how old were you? you? I was maybe eight, nineteen. Okay, that's Coming an awakening. Like a sexually sheltered sort of. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hello. That's, that's, yeah, that's formative. Oh yeah, yeah, that was my favorite book that lived under my pillow for mm-hmm. a long time. <laughs> Some people have Hustler mags. Other people have steamy and rice books. Right. Like. Yeah. I that for me there was a, I think is um, Anais Nin wrote an erotica book that I was like discovered and there was all kinds of crazy stuff in that that I was like, is this okay? Like this is there's people there's like body modification and uh, there's just a huge range of like stuff I had not heard or seen anywhere else. But similarly, was like, what is that? mean about how my body's reacting to this content and I think in the end when people don't talk about it and where I know for me there was a lot of shame yeah I mean there was a lot of shame around sexual urges and and masturbation and all those things before yeah like those are things that you weren't supposed to do and I was raised in a culture where and a household where dating happened after your arranged marriage got it got uh set up that's very different than right yeah so sex would only happen after marriage was the idea yeah. So it was very different. And yeah. having a lot of shame around having sexual urges and having feelings. Um, I mean, I had polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I didn't realize like that hormone imbalance really affected some of my urges from like from a young age and how that impacted a lot of things. Yeah. So a big part of being in the scene for the last eight years has been like a lot of positivity and re- reclamation and, and making my own narrative. Yeah. Um, and when I started going to cons, which was eight years ago, that's part of how I entered the scene. I started going to cons um, 
to help out to meet people to see what was what to mm-hmm. try to figure out why I'm into this yeah. mm-hmm. and I learned so much and yeah. what I learned was mental health comes up people mm. talk about it mm. and then they're stuck at what's the next step mm. and even in the New York City scene I was part of a couple of submissive groups and people would come to me and ask oh my god like you're a therapist yeah. can you tell me where I can find a kink aware therapist or can you tell me I have no idea where to start I, I think I would benefit from therapy. Can, yeah. My insurance, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of time in the beginning helping people find referrals and hook them up, and it's really hard. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot more resources now than there used to be 10 years ago, but it's yeah. hard. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the change is slow around stigma. And there's like, I think when I think about it, I, I get frustrated because I almost feel like it's irresponsible to practice therapy on some. If they're bringing up their sexual. Um, desires and background orientation and want to explore that in the context of therapy and you haven't done your homework then you need to not be giving advice based on that if you if you if you haven't like you're out of scope yeah yeah to to just concede that and to have a like a network where you can refer people to but i think therapists need to study this as much as like it's important to study human sexuality as a therapist like but that's also a gap like in my training i didn't have a human sexuality class and i went to a really good program I went to really good schools, yep. and I didn't have, I mean, I learned about sex from my sixth grade health class, yep. right? And then when, yep. it, when it came to sexual identity stuff, I, I've been taking CE credits and doing things now, because things are available mm. now, but I didn't have a basic sexuality course in my graduate program, yeah. um, and a lot, a lot of programs it's still outrageous. don't. Yeah. And that's a, a it, massive problem. Yeah, it's like, a blow. It, 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 because I, I think so many people like the therapy and kink intertwine and mm-hmm. mental health like it, it and and being able to like it, inwards and then outwards in our relationships mm-hmm. all of those things intertwine and if we can't um find um therapists who have an idea or can concede i don't have an idea but let me refer to you you to somebody who does mm-hmm. then I mean, it, it, it's it's worse than, like, negligence of, like, I just can't help you. It's, I'm going to send you down a rabbit hole of, like... I could do that, harm. That, that I don't even know what I'm doing. That's where we're getting into this irresponsible, like, aspect of it. And I don't know enough about how, like, um, therapy is, is regulated in the sense of you have to know these things in order to be a therapist. Yeah. So, I don't know how... The sex you, stuff's you not on the test. You need to <laughs> yeah. understand and, and human so, sexuality because Jesus Christ, it's a massive part of mental health. But that's part of the stigma in our culture, yeah. right? And yeah. whatever you want to blame for the binary nature of what's considered good and bad and how things get sure. it's complicated. Um, disseminated. But there is still such stigma on sex and can we do sex ed in schools and can we do LGBT yeah. positive affirming sex yeah. ed in schools. Yeah, can we say trans? Can we say gay in the South? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and even in New York City, like my school was in New York is in New York City, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm a proud graduate of I went to Hofstra University for my graduate program. Yeah. And they have a really good program, and we didn't talk about. I mean, I'm, I don't know if they've changed it since, but yeah, we didn't maybe. talk about it then. And when there's such a big stigma on sex. Yes, an experienced therapist learns to get a good sex history and to talk to people and and, yeah. and not judge. But when you don't know what's normal or not, and yeah. our guidebook is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which, which until very recently, still said they didn't talk about consent. They just said these things that you do if they're sexually weird or not the norm, then it's a paraphilia. And they're still using the word paraphilia, but they're not stigmatizing. They're using it as sexual behavior, and they're not stigmatizing it in the same way. Yeah, but, but I feel like that label is very I was stigmatizing. Gonna say, yeah, and I don't use that label. I don't like it. And it's I'm- not helpful to your client to use that label, and it, it's not helpful to other uh, clinicians because it immediately, like, you as soon as you know someone's diagnosis, right? As a clinician, you think you know something about that person, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah, your scope is narrowed to yeah. it's this. And then and I see the box, yeah, yeah, and now yeah. I'm I'm not as curious about the things outside of that box. Yeah, yeah. And and this is partly my view of therapy is I don't care about diagnosis. Yes, it Her, can be yeah. informative. It may help me figure out what's going on with someone. It might help them understand their behaviors. Absolutely. But in the end, it's all just I'm getting information. I want the client to help yeah. heal themselves and be able to have a happier life. Work yeah. towards what 
stop stop getting in their own way to live a happier life. Yeah, no, that's it. And as you talk about this, I think the ridiculousness of us not having sexuality and uh, sexual behavior, sexual orientation as like a key training piece, it'd be like, oh, we don't talk about career. We're therapists. We don't talk about work, right? Like you'd be like, no, like I have problems at work. I need to talk to you. That's a part of my life. It's a part of who I am. And this is like, if you take the stigma away from it, like this is still a very core part of who we are as humans. It's how we make more of them, typically. Not all, the, you know, like yeah. it's sort of like how are we just ignoring that is, uh, is so mired in our culture. So you shared a little bit about your, you're into kink, you have a trauma history, uh, maybe and you're trying to make sense of you know your desires and what do you like wh- how would a engaging with a kink um smart therapist um or a dom or both like you, it was an interesting yeah. topic so there's this idea that trauma stress all these things are held in our body yes. and whether or not people call it trauma people may agree to the word stress Sure. Um, even people who report happy childhoods, shit happens. Like Absolutely. shit and trauma are part of side effect of life. Yeah, too and, much, too soon, too fast. And often, no one teaches us. How, we don't have feelings classes at school. No one teaches us how to deal with shit or the power of breath work and breathing and mm-hmm. how that can, how we can self regulate. Right. Which is also insane. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not gonna go on a soapbox on this too, but all like like. Yeah. Wrong. Like. <laughs> Okay. We could always have another discussion on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For but real. no one teaches those things, right? So yeah. people figure it out on their own. Yeah. And we figure it out when we're young. And we use those tools over and over because they work. So yeah. if we're over... In the context of yes, our culture. Yes, they work at the time. So yeah. like, but if I'm overcorrecting and I'm... If, if I say I'm never going to trust anybody and I keep everybody at arm's length, mm-hmm. well, yeah, I am always going to be safer. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to be able to live life and experience what life has to offer. I'm, I've, a limit, I've limited my, yeah. my potential. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think then it backfires and people don't know yeah. what to do. Animals, when they have a fight or flight reaction, they shake it off. Mm-hmm. As humans, we don't. And mm-hmm. in fact, some emotions feel so scary and icky mm-hmm. that we don't even let them pass through. You know, And if yeah. we were to just feel our emotions, don't judge them, yeah. which is hard. It's Curious. hard to sit in our emotions, just let them pass. Yeah, yeah. It takes about 15, 20 minutes sometimes if yeah. we let it. Witness. Yeah. Just witness. Yeah, like that, that piece, we talk about this a lot um, between the two of us around like, can you just be a compassionate observer to your own feelings, right? Yeah. Um, as Because otherwise, like, what, and it is terrifying, and there is a part of you that's terrified as you're experiencing those feelings. Sometimes you might, you might feel out of control. As somebody who identifies as a dominant, I don't like feeling out of control. <laughs> <laughs> and so that can be a scary place for, for me and is a lot of where my work is, is like just allowing myself to have the feelings and and to and to feel safe in having those feelings in relationship with somebody else and i think people figure it out and when it comes to relationships that's where the trauma comes up right yeah so that's where the healing has to happen which is why therapy can can work and help no matter what kind of therapy it is Mm But a lot, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I thought I had it all figured out. I know. But every five years, I think that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's the immediate red flag. And then, (laughs) and then I realize. And, and, you know, there's always this higher standard for therapists. Like you should know your own shit. And I did. I worked really hard to be on top of my own shit. Yeah. But some stuff didn't come up until I was in relationships and those relationships deepened. Yeah. And then I went, oh shit. And being polyamorous, lots of shit comes up. So much, yeah. So much, yeah. Like there's, I mean, jealousy happens, envy happens, and, and open communication and, and conversation. Yeah. You think you're communicating, but then you realize that the word I'm using means something completely different yep. to the person that I, that's hearing it. We talk about yeah. that, and and so this this piece of we hold all this in, right? We don't hold, we don't feel yeah. our feelings. We hold it in, it gets stuck in our body. Yeah. How do we release it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Dr. Susan Kay has this book called "Am I Normal If." And she talks about her experience bringing massage into the massage therapy world, making it like a therapy. And she says that she noticed that when she would do massage on people, they would like pour their hearts out to her. And she'd be like, well, I just, you know, we were doing massage. I'm not I'm not a talk therapist. And it's the same kind of phenomena that I've noticed. My partner is a pro dom Mm -hmm. and seeing how they interact with people. Mm -hmm. I've watched the healing. I've known them for eight 
almost eight years now. So okay. I've watched what's happened in scene, in parties. I can't say for client work because I haven't really met their clients. Yeah. But I see the magic and I yeah. see how people's lives are changed yeah. and how that changes them moving forward. Cause some, and I've experienced it myself. There's like, a release that takes place would there's you also say? A, yeah and there's a self-acceptance piece right like yeah. this is okay i can be who i am and one of the biggest healing things about kink yeah. is that it's mindful embodiment you are in your body fully mm-hmm. without mindfulness is about being in the present without judgment yeah. um and just being right accepting things as they yeah. come and go yeah. when you're topping or bottoming yeah. that's what you're doing in scene if you're the top yeah. you often get into a sense of flow you're not judging the bottom for what's happening. Mm-hmm. You're doing your thing. There's an energy dance. It's a, yeah. it's a dance, mm-hmm. right? Your mm-hmm. energy is being exchanged, and it's fun, and it's play, and it's connection. Mm-hmm. And no one's judging each other. Like, there's been interest made. Yeah. And I'm sure that happens in sex for a lot of people who are not kinky, too. Sure. And that, that's ideally. a lot of people, <laughs> especially, th- I mean, ideally, all this is for connection. Yeah, right? yeah. So there is this dance, and then at the end, everybody is spent, and everybody feels lighter. Mm-hmm. And or or like, revved up for a little bit, but then lighter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, but, but there is a revved up feeling, you know, yeah, and yeah. and that's also nice sometimes. And yes, there's different biochemistry that goes into it, mm-hmm. but there's this letting go that we're almost forced sometimes yeah. to yeah. do, and that's that processing of all that physical stuff. Yeah. And so I noticed that as I went through that, I got more acceptance for my body because I'm not the body shape and size that I was told I should be or that mm-hmm. was acceptable, mm-hmm. and I was told that things weren't happening in my life according to the guideline that was laid out for me mm-hmm. because I wasn't the right size mm-hmm. or because I was too smart that I was intimidating mm. or I have to be a certain way to fit this mold right. to be wanted and accepted and the beautiful thing about the kink scene is that there's so many different kinds of people it's so sex and body affirming yeah people accept you as you are and they they help you grow and they grow with you especially mm-hmm. if you do it the right way with the open communication and forming connections that matter yeah Um, whether it's a passing connection or you know a pickup play scene or something longer lasting than that and so I started putting these things together and I think it all started click because I'm also trained in mindfulness-based practices okay so the mindfulness piece kind of was clicking for me and then I started reading articles that talked about mindful embodiment and how this was a big piece and then we talk about stigma and shame, the acceptance and coming out is another big piece. And so in my yeah. own journey, as I've come out, it's been easier and easier. I don't feel like I'm stuck in the closet anymore. And with that comes a lot more relief and freedom and passion to mm-hmm. help in ways because the closet's what's keeping me from helping. And I look around and there are lots of sex therapists who are great and they're out there and they're PhD level clinicians doing this work mm-hmm. and teaching people that it's not to be stigmatized teaching classes mm-hmm. and I found I'd go to those classes but those credits wouldn't count for my degree so I can I can pay for a number of them because yeah. I want to benefit myself but I can't apply those credits elsewhere and if somebody wants supervision or consultation yeah I can go for go for it but it won't count in certain ways towards things yeah and so I thought it's about a barrier. that and I was like but this is the stigma right if you mm-hmm. can break the stigma to become a sex therapist who do a ton of work relationally, right? Oh, like lots of training. Yeah, involved lots in certification. of training. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of pros, um, pro doms and stuff who I've met who are now social workers and mental health counselors, and they're doing this work. Mm-hmm. But I can't take a class by them and get yeah. credit for it. Yeah, you yeah. know, and and yeah. so I said, if nobody else is doing this, I don't know anybody else on the East Coast, and it could be limited, who's out and doing the education and doing the teaching. Yeah. You know, there's one group in California I know, a couple of groups in Cal- based out of California, and I've met a bunch of therapists in the scene who is are it, doing their own thing. Is it Tashra? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So what I've decided to do is I'm actually working on a kink education class. Like, a, I wanted to do just an advanced one, but I realized I've been designing it for the internship at my old job, and I think the first time I presented it to them, it was a little bit over their heads. So there I'm like, go. okay, yeah. I will do the basic up. 101 version. Of this is what you're gonna. This is what this is. This is what you might see, and this is the clinical piece. Because a lot of the trainings I go to will give you an example, but they don't tell you like what issues might come up in the room and how do you handle that That's overall it, yeah. without judgment. They're just like this exists. Yeah. Like here's here's this is a cat, versus like when you own a cat, <laughs> you might get scratched. Or yeah. even saying like here's a, give me the same vignette that you've given, yeah. but let me talk about it with other people in the room. Yeah. And let's see what questions come up. And yeah. You, you know. What are what are the what are the ifs? What more? What do you want to find out more about? 
Yeah, because like, then you add this opportunity with clinicians, and I've done this in the workshops that I've taught unrelated to kink, but once you get into that discussion, you start to see where the hangups are, right? Or where like the, um, the lens or the narrative about it um, where people are getting in their own way to actually apply the skills that you're working with yes. them. And so you can get, you can like break through that with them almost in, a, in yeah. its own massage way of yeah. like, let's, let's get curious about what you're asking here. Yes. Right. And, and I think a lot of people come in because we all have some kind of control issues. We do. <laughs> and while I'm, while I'm a, I, I'm a submissive and identify as a submissive, like I'm the boss in other places. Sure. You know, I'm the one people have always come to it for advice. I've always taken charge. I mean, if, if there's a mess, I will straighten it out and organize it because I just can't, you know, I will take charge because if no one else is doing it, I'll do it. A lot of people come in thinking if I'm submissive, I can't do that. I'm not, I don't have the power to do that. Yeah. Or I can't even use kink to my advantage for healing if yeah. I don't have a partner. Yeah. And, and there's so many people who don't have partners. I didn't have a partner for a very long time. And even mm-hmm. with a partner, they're not always available. You can't yeah. always rely on another person to take care of yourself. And so, like, for example, my class tomorrow is an aftercare class, but it's actually called self-care and aftercare for everyone. Mm. Because my premise and the way I teach it and view it is, yeah, aftercare is wonderful, but you need to know yourself first. You need to have a plan and know, like, how can you negotiate aftercare if you don't know what What it looks like if you're panicked and how to calm yourself down or what somebody else can do to calm you down? Mm -hmm. Or if you're not having a good time and you're dissociating or something, you're just not having a good time, how do you find your voice or a hand signal or something to communicate that? Yeah. Like, how do we get out of our own way and how do we, like, heal yeah. ourselves? Yeah. How do we come back into relationship, safe relationship with each other, back into the right part of our nervous system? Right. And in, in there was a piece that sort of jumped out to me listening to you talk is the, the healing power of not just feeling the feelings in your body um, and experiencing them, but having them witnessed by somebody else when you do have yeah. a partner. Right. Yeah. Or um, a scene in public. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah. for example, tears. So many people are taught, regardless of gender, that you cannot cry. Yeah. Crying makes you weak. It's not okay. I was the too sensitive kid who didn't understand about empaths and any of that stuff. And I was the too sensitive kid that when I spoke up and said, this is not okay or I don't like this, yeah. I was told, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, Shweta's here, don't say that. Or Shweta's so sensitive. Yeah. And so I isolated. And I don't think anybody meant harm, right? Yeah. It was a, it's going up, growing up between two cultures. You know, I didn't fit in either one. I wasn't American enough and I wasn't Indian enough sometimes. And nobody meant harm. Everybody means well. I come from a loving family. But nobody understood me. Nobody understood my emotional world. And so I isolated. And I pulled away. And I even mm. rejected affection. Mm. So I, from 12, mm. age 12, when I hit puberty on... Yeah. You know, I had a lot of self-loathing and, and self-esteem issues around my body. A lot mm-hmm. of body negativity because I didn't fit the mold. And that started with puberty when my body started changing shape. And I isolated. And so I got this reputation for being the person who, so she doesn't like kisses, she doesn't like hugs, leave her alone. Um, and I didn't realize till 35 when I stuck in the scene and I met people I connected with that, oh, wow, cuddling is really nice. Mm-hmm. And I can cuddle with my friends. It doesn't have to be something sexual. Like I can sit, I mean, I had some friends in college who would say like, play with my hair and you know, they'd want to play with mine. And it was, you know, I was like, all right, fine. Like, yeah, sure. And there was some affection there, but nothing like not. And that was my block, right? I didn't allow a lot of it. Yeah. And, and people see me sometimes as standoffish or they're a little afraid to approach me. I've been told I look intimidating in the scene because I do have boundaries up. And part Mm -hmm. of that is as a therapist, like as a licensed therapist, there are, yeah. yeah, there's trained boundaries. That doesn't mean that I'm not warm and open and accepting, but it's definitely a one-way street in terms of how much sharing there is. So this whole thing this last year has been really new, or the last two years, because over COVID, when I connected with Tashrike, there's this whole group of kinky therapists, and we, yeah. we meet and we talk every month, because they're like my family now. We talk about not just client yeah. stuff yeah. that comes up, but where's the boundary? With clients, we figured it out, but what's the boundary amongst ourselves? We're colleagues, we're friends. What do you do at a con? How do we separate like the yeah. work that we do out of the states that we're licensed with? Like, what do we do if we teach a class and someone goes, well, you're the doctor and you said this, and then they, they try to go sue you afterwards for what you said. And I'm like, wow, I hope people don't do that. Yeah. Um, we're yeah. here to help. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> yeah. But it's been a process. And, and it's, 
there was a lot of fear in the beginning, but I also think being older has helped me kind of break the mold. I'm 43. Mm -hmm. In my culture, most people get married before 30. And by 40, as a woman, you're completely yeah. on the shelf. And so for me, <laughs> even if it was nobody else saying it to me, because my mom still wants me to get married and have babies. Oh, but for me, it allowed me to break through that I should be doing this. Mm -hmm. And I've been breaking through it. But there was something about reaching that number. Mm -hmm. Oh, no one's going to expect this of me anymore. And there was a letting go. So liberating, yeah. And yeah. I, I have a father who's ill, and, I, and he started getting sick in his mid to late 60s. So I was like, well, if that happens to me and my life becomes that limited, do I want to regret not pursuing no. my passion? Yeah. Yes. yeah. You know, I want to teach people about this. I want yeah. people, I want to, I'm doing, I'm going to be doing consultation groups for therapists across the country where you have a kinky case come talk to me about it. I can't call it supervision because I'm not licensed in your state. Yeah. And so it's the not supervision, but, and it's not going to be just me. It'll be a group of folks, mm -hmm. but I'll lead it. I, I doesn't matter if someone's an, an NP, um, a MD or any other kind of mental health yeah. worker. My, the, the beauty of my degree, having a PhD in psychology means that I can provide consultation yeah. or even supervision within New York to anyone. Yeah. Um, so I want to take advantage of that. I feel yeah. like it's my responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, but you like I I have a skill set, I have a knowledge base, and I have some um, uh, legal authority, <laughs> right? Like given to you to be able to like provide that in a legitimate way. Well, and I found something that I believe in. Yeah, like yes. that, that that's the driver. That's that's what brings you back, even on the days of like I don't want to fucking get up today. Yeah. But. And the tricky thing is no one does regulate. What, so the hard thing about psychotherapy is nobody knows what's happening in the room. Right. There are certifications and things people can get. But I mean, I got most of most of my career was in the hospital system. I, and I, even now, I work for the city. I can't record my sessions. Yeah. I know I do good work, but I don't know if anybody. I mean, my clients can like testify, but I don't know if anybody else really can. Yeah. And yes, I took a bunch of tests, and I have to keep up with CE credits to maintain my license. Right. But if I if I advertise myself as a kink-aware therapist, and somebody else who just took one class with me does. The average person trying to pick a therapist, They're how, not are, know the how are they going to yeah. know what, if it's what that means? Yeah, right. I mean, you. Do, this is I. I also end up in a position of like helping my friends get, find therapists and trying to help them find like body-based therapists or people who are you know, um, like okay, yeah, like I, I hear what you have going on. Like this might be the uh, modality that might be helpful, but regardless, you just gotta like the person, <laughs> right? Um, the relationship has to feel safe. And you, like, it's really hard to know, right? Like, thankfully, like, Psychology Today allows for some understanding of what people have, but they get to put it up there, right? And, Nobody's and vetting that. They actually have, yes, the, no one's vetting it, but they also do have a filter for anyone who's looking. There's a, there's a mm -hmm. kink-aware therapist filter. If you Google kink-aware therapist psychology today, I it'll be a that. specific filter for kink-aware therapists. Um, NCSF awesome. also has a list of kink-aware therapists, but... We they get, they get full very quickly. With like transaffirming doctors, there's, a, there's like an Excel spreadsheet. For anybody yeah, in New yeah. York, there's Manhattan Alternative, which is a website of all kinds of practitioners. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can filter by insurance or not. The hard yeah. thing is, we live in a world that doesn't value mental health, so insurance companies yeah. don't reimburse for mental health. So it's the bullshit. If they're only giving the doctor or the, the therapist $100 per session, yeah. like that's... That's hard to, and then, you know, depending on where you're working and overhead, 30 to 40% of that goes away from you. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. you're not making much yeah. per session. So a lot of people do it privately and charge a lot more money. Um, a lot of people have sliding skills, but yeah. it's hard. And that's yeah. why part of my mission isn't to churn out therapists, but to take the therapists who are already there yeah. and help them comprehend better. So, yeah. they, so have an increased cultural competence. So I'm marketing this yeah. class as a cultural competence class and, and i want to go that to the expands out like yeah. like when, like you plant sort of the quality seeds in like te teaching people mm -hmm. how to understand this and how to learn it and then how to and then like Give ideally the they can teach and 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 this sort of like that's how i think the mindset and relationship with king slowly starts to turn just now is sort of this like um, discouraging point of like feeling like you're planting seeds and it's just not quite spreading yet we're just not there so like it, you just sort of laying it'll happen yeah yeah, yeah I, no I I, yeah. I I am patient because enough. of people like you <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> yeah thank you for the work that you're doing thank you, thank you. I am honored like 
it's my passion and I and I see the gaps right like so there's a lot we talk about trauma a lot I think people who are more aware of themselves talk about trauma a lot mm -hmm. we don't BDSM folks don't have more trauma than anybody else according to research mm -hmm. I think we're just more accepting of ourselves so we open up and talk about things or we're coping through it and working through it in, in yeah. a way that we are happy to share yeah. we're constantly having to I mean because we're we're playing with um, high activities intensity. where we're yeah high intensity shed where, where trauma can just tend to come up they, what I one of the things I love about the BDSM community whether we're in lifestyle or whether we're in um, a, like kind of a professional setting or, or convention or wherever the hell is there's a constant emphasis on you need to be able to communicate where you're at like and and mm -hmm. what's going on and it needs to be mutual it's not just it's not just the top's responsibility to communicate it there's a responsibility for everybody involved to communicate where they're at and if they're not sure which a lot of times in in intense scenes you you, you aren't mm -hmm. to have a system in place to be able to to have options in 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 that space but that's always seemed to be ingrained in bdsm culture so i feel like just getting in those habits mm -hmm. um then outside of the world of BDSM, it just feels like you have self-regulation and communication skills that are developed a lot further because in this context, we're just constantly doing it. Mm -hmm. And then here's the other piece. Our mottos are don't yuck my yum and, and don't, like, my oh, kink yeah. is not your kink and it's yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. The acceptance in that is yeah. right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And we also have a lot of gender and sexual fluidity, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. we break norms and people can explore even people who identify as cisgendered, like we can break gender norms. Mm -hmm. We can experiment mm -hmm. with all kinds of things. And as the edgier you get, we experiment with all kinds of identities. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and you, it, can un you can discover things about yourself that maybe you didn't give yourself the space to realize before or didn't feel the right to. In the freedom to break social norms, no matter how we're doing, we do that just by existing and doing what we're doing. Yeah. But to be able to do it specifically in so many different ways and still be loved and accepted and have ecstatic healing experiences, those, yeah. and I use ecstatic on purpose because it is that spiritual connection sometimes. It's mm -hmm. that intensity that I didn't even notice the overlap until my, I had a psychedelic journey almost two years ago where I became one with the universe. Mm. And oh no, this feels exactly like I do when I'm submitting. And it's not, and it gave me information about my DS relationship and our scenes. And it's not just the connection I have to that person in the moment, yeah. it's the connection to the entire universe yeah. and the world through that. That's just a conduit. I call them psychedelic states, these liminal spaces that mm -hmm. are like altered mental states that are in between universes. Mm. Um, I can get there from somebody's voice or like mm -hmm. a touch. It doesn't have to be, mm -hmm. especially with medicine. Your hair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, I see you all know what I mean. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about at all. Um, you had a good question before. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we were getting into the space of, I think in the presentation there were two things that were kind of on my mind. I was talking about um, trauma getting routing to a state of arousal, and it felt like there's potentially a stigma around that and a stigma around um, sexualization of trauma. And I remember looking at Elise and going, I don't know that there's anything inherently wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm, I'm getting back to this, the state of like, your taboo is like my kink. Um, Wanting just elaboration from you on kind of your, your thoughts on that. Like, that's a place for me when we're going into areas of shame or areas of, um, like, degradation or, or stuff that's, like, bringing up clearly, like, rooted in traumatic incidences to then sort of route that into a sexual space with awareness around what's, what's happening. Mm -hmm. I enjoy the hell out of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a part about feeling afraid that can be really sexy, yeah. right? Like yeah. fear plays a thing, even when, even when people don't acknowledge it. Yeah. Um, now I'm not an expert in this, and I'm not a medical professional, but like the fight or flight response, like mm -hmm. we're all really good at it because our ancestors were really good at. It. That's mm -hmm. why we're here. Yeah. If, if they had a slower fight or flight response, maybe we wouldn't be here today. No, we might be dead. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So we tend to react very quickly to things. But when you go within that, which response we have, fight, flight, freeze, Fawn. hide, Fawn, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever whatever it ends up being, there are other cues that kind of tell us, and for us it's life experience, mm -hmm. right? So whatever our life history has brought to us will 
teach us what to do in those moments. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we run away from our trauma. No matter what happens in that moment, when mm -hmm. we think about it in the past, we tend to run away from it. So we don't want to feel those things. We don't want to process them and work them through. Mm -hmm. and so they get stuck. Mm -hmm. And we learned, we overgeneralize. So we'll say like, all people are bad instead of this one person who took advantage of me is bad. Mm -hmm. And maybe the system that allowed it to happen is bad. Mm -hmm. But we'll say no one can be trusted. Mm -hmm. And this is normal. Everyone does this, right? Yeah. And then if I don't trust anyone and I, and I have to be super alert when I'm outside because it's unsafe to be outside, and then I get home safely. Oh, well, it was my super alertness that kept me safe. But it's also keeping anyone from getting close to me. Mm. It also keeps me from living and experiencing life and, and what it has to offer. So if we don't allow that, that's a problem. I think a lot of people have sexual trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And our body has protective factors. So people may say, well, I didn't say no, or I dressed a certain way, or I was aroused during it. What does that mean for me? Mm -hmm. Forgetting that, like, we're kind of like a machine sometimes. You push a button, something happens. Mm. Like, our body might be getting aroused to protect us, mm -hmm. right? It might be somebody is manipulating a body part or saying something or doing something that does stimulate us. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, you know, we're all wired a little bit differently. Yeah. I think I've, the first time I was spanked, I was like, oh, I knew I would like it, right? I had fantasies about it before it happened. Mm. And when it happened, I was like, yeah, this makes sense. Do I know why? No. And mm. why for me it's arousing and for somebody else, it's, it's not a hard. No, no we're yeah. just kind of. I mean, it's all sensation. I don't see it as pain. Yeah, it's just sensation of different intensities. And so when we all process pain differently. Yeah. But emotions are also pain, right? Like emotions are sensation in the body. Like we, we feel them in our body in different locations. It's a tightness in the chest. It's a, a discomfort in your stomach. It's just an interoceptive experience, right? I mean, but your brain decides what you're feeling because yes. anger and anxiety have the same uh, physical arousal pattern. Yeah. It's your brain that decides whether you're Makes anxious. Makes a story about it, right? Yeah. Like what story is my, am I, is my brain telling me about my body experiences? And I think like this is, it's been interesting because the way that we tend to play is much more um, like mental and emotional as opposed to like we don't really get into impact in the same way that like there's all this ritual around the impact play at, at DomCon and this like. Which oh, is beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, but it just isn't a part of the way that we've, we've played traditionally and we're like down to learn and try it and like experience it and, and, and rec but then recognizing like, ah, oh, what's happening to the body when you're, when you're engaging in, in play that is uh, like either mind fuck play or fear based play or, um, or just like n navigating uh, jealousy, right? Uh, in the context of kink that you might like there's still uh, you're choosing to engage in sensations in the same way you're choosing to get whipped right and so you're like there's still a, an amount of and this is what I'd love to hear your take on this but like this is the kind of how I was conceiving it it's like is there still a space there where you're like I have I feel in, I feel an empowerment because I am one I'm choosing to engage with this I also get to decide when it ends Right, yes. because I have a partner and I get to play with the narrative that allows me to um, turn up and down but I get to work yes. those dials and I think this is where the de debate over therapy versus therapeutic comes up right yeah. so I think a lot of people unknowingly no one's trying to harm themselves or others yeah but a lot of people feel like okay I'll use like being spanked with the belt by a parent. Like maybe that's been traumatic for somebody. Yeah. And they, they can't understand why they enjoy spankings now. Yeah. Um, and so while the sound of a belt coming out might be triggering and put them in a bad place, if it's handled the right way and that doesn't happen, they might really enjoy it. There's a lot of judgment sometimes. And people will say, well, how could I enjoy this? Am I yeah. sexualizing this, this thing that happened with my parent that was horrible? And that may or may not be the case. But I think we have such judgment around mm. like social there's still these social norms that we're in, that we end up internalizing that things have to be a certain way yeah. that sex is a bad thing mm. that we kind of tune those things out mm -hmm. 
So for example, somebody, so people may try to say, well, I want to get over this belt thing, right? I want that sound not to bother me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go get this top and have them do it and we'll have a scene and we'll see how it is. You can just jump right into exposure there. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but also it could be yeah. re-traumatizing, right? right? Absolutely. Because you're not, not everybody, titrating. Yeah. yeah you, you're not, a, you don't have a CBT exposure therapy or behavioral exposure therapist yeah. on on you know speed dial to talking know, you through to it to start from one not a ten right because yeah. there's no systematic I mean that would be flooding if there's no systematic desensitization there's no preparation yeah. for it right yeah. Yeah. so what happens when the top unknowingly has agreed to this pulls the belt and yeah. now the yeah. bottom is dissociated not there not feeling anything yeah. you're not going to have the healing effect if you're not connected in there right. yeah. it may end up re-traumatizing the person and making them run away saying look this was not for me i was wrong i got told all the wrong uh, things yeah. i believe the wrong things and then you lose trust in yourself too yeah. yeah so the piece there then for me regardless of what the kink is is like that i'm hearing from you is that like the importance of one attunement right with your partner um if you're doing this or like self-awareness as like and self curio curiosity right about like how, what am i experiencing what's the story that yes. i'm telling myself um, and that there's a, um, there's also a piece around, um, having, a, an, a, an awareness about like, where do I, where do I start? What's the like small, what's the large, uh, how, what's the, um, continuum of experiences that I can have and how do I, it's almost like you're doing the widen the window piece, right? Of like, can I sort of spread out what I can contain without going into fight or flight. And some of that has, a, there are lots of components, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the therapy part, which is the ex relationship. Mm -hmm. Is not doing it with pickup play, but maybe with somebody you've Agreed. established That's a trusting Agreed. relationship with. That's it, yeah. And, and not just that, like have a therapist involved who understands exposure therapy or systematic yeah. sensitization and trauma. And can process and, the and scene can help with you, you walk after. through potential things that may come up. Yeah. And the problem, and the, the key thing people don't realize is you don't, you don't want to repeat what happened. You want to change the narrative. Yeah. And that narrative, even if it's not written out exactly word for word, scene for scene, like mm -hmm. touch for touch. Yeah. You want the story to change. You want that person who couldn't fight back to be able to fight back or stop this, stop yeah. what's happening. Because yeah. that's where the, empower, the empowerment is, is in yeah. changing the narrative and changing what happened. Mm -hmm. And that's the part I think people unknowingly yeah. mess up. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I think there's also like not all trauma is identifiable in a in a concrete memory right complex ptsd is you're not going to say like oh this one thing happened and i really gotta it's the belt right it's right? the it's the pattern of it's the consistent over lots of time having lots of little traumas yeah. that have yeah. added up yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so like and that, that this sort of leads me to my other thing uh, i think placing an emphasis on if i'm going to play with fire like this how do i identify what's going on in myself what are the things that I need to communicate to my partner about? I absolutely agree. Don't go after traumatic shit and pick up play. That's not fair to the dom. Hey, if you're going in or as even a with sub, people or you don't have a deeper relationship with. So, yeah. Um, yeah. There are people who are into they don't get the extreme, consent to that. Right, but yeah. even in extreme degradation, humiliation play, mm -hmm. some part of you knows that it's play because you're doing it with a trusted partner, and yeah. that's why it's freeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and if you do it with somebody who's not a trusted partner, it's going to feel degrading and humiliating for real. Yeah. And you'll leave having done harm to yourself yeah. or allowed harm to be done to yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I, I feel like it's rare that I um, am comfortable um, being in a submissive state is because it's like I, uh, my narrative around that is still like, I still believe it's hard for me to like go to the place of I chose this, this is play because like that's, I haven't worked that out yet, right? Like I haven't found the, the, the entry point where it's small enough that it like makes a difference yeah. into, um, as opposed to just sort of like, ah, like I, I don't want you to call me that. Like, <laughs> you know, where you, where you can um, think like, well, some people think this is sexy, so let me try it. Why don't you call me a dirty slut? And then you're like, nope, hard pass. So I think also some of it is the difference between dominance and submission and yeah. the power authority exchange that happens there mm -hmm. with all the other fun stuff in BDSM, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not just the act or the people you're doing it with, but the 
relationship dynamic that underlies that that sometimes yes. makes the difference yes and then the acts and the behaviors all become like they get subsumed under that but what i will add is i think when people get upset about it being called therapies because mm. like if you're a pro if you're a pro dom who doesn't have any kind of therapy training yeah, yeah when this stuff comes up it's scary and you don't want to be the therapist and yeah. if the person needs talk therapy that's not the type of therapist you should be but if the if it's somatic based and body based and you mm -hmm. are trained in, in trauma informed work and that comes up yeah. you can do the supportive work you can yeah. provide holding space unconditional acceptance make sure the person's safe and help them connect to somebody who can do a different level or yeah. a deeper level yeah. of work yeah. and there are people who are both yeah just the foundational stuff yeah, yeah, there are therapists who used to be pros, right? It, you, mm -hmm. Once you're licensed, you kind of can't, I mean, it's you can't do the hands-on stuff for a lot of licensed yeah. clinicians, yeah. right? But there are a bunch of clinicians who are former pros or body workers of some sort. Yeah. So they understand that mind-body connection, and that's what it comes down to. And that's what I've noticed is, especially with the psychedelic work I do, mm -hmm. we all have this false, like, separation of mind and body, and it's all connected. Yeah. Yeah. And I kink really it's one of the things that I love about it is that it it, it really blasts down that wall. Um, between and, mind and body. Between mind yeah, and body, yeah. right. Yeah. And like makes you feel both at the same time yeah. and recognize and that. And we still surprise you sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like in terms of like, oh, that got this response to my body that I wasn't anticipating. Or, and now you have a mystery yeah. you get to solve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the empowering thing in, we, you guys touched on this, in um, kind of like sexualizing that traumatic space is the fact that you're in the driver's seat of the knobs and the voltage. By creating a scene just in itself, mm. that's what feels almost like reclaiming something for yourself. And like, I am now using this for a point of arousal and I can control and put this into a space where it feels good and feels safe mm -hmm. for me. Um, and because you've set the boundaries, yeah, of it, yeah, yeah. That you're that's like, where I think the, these are the limits. So this I'm going to generalize I... a little bit. So it doesn't always have to be sexual. When I say arousal, I just mean yeah. your, your your biochemistry is going right, and yeah. there are specific yeah. things I'm that very irresponsible using that term right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but I appreciate you using it because people think of physiological arousal as being turned on, yeah, and that's not always what's happening. But your body may also not know the difference, right? So like when we play the stress response starts first. So we'll have cortisol and adrenaline, yeah. right? And then the fun chemicals come a little bit later, right? Once your yeah. endorphins start being released, whether that's what the dopamine and the serotonin come in and then the touch. When you watch somebody doing a spanking scene, right? They come and rub you in between. Yeah. And that stimulates oxytocin, especially if it's mm -hmm. a loving relationship, right? Yeah. So yeah. there's all these happy chemicals that come through. Yeah. And so there's the, it's, a, it's a dance of our neurochemistry too. Yeah. So there's so many complicated things, but your body can't tell if the physiological arousal you're having, right? We said the brain, can, the brain and our life experiences filter the brain yeah. in terms of what we, how we interpret what that emotion is and what we're feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we were talking about how we change all the narratives, right? So we're not saying I feel arousal, so I must be turned on. Mm. We say, let's see what this is. Yeah. Let's see yeah. what comes of this. Yeah. Oh, this people call this fear, but I find it's somewhat, it's a little like, I'm getting tingles and it's exciting. Yeah. Let me see where it goes instead yeah. of just running away or hiding. Yeah. yeah. Like I want to engage, like the way someone might go, like I will, I, some people like roller coasters, some people don't, right? Like there's something about that level of stimulus that um, plays with the neurochemicals, the neurochemistry in your body that, that provides some amount of arousal that might feel pleasurable. Right. Right. And then because we do adjust to things when people play a lot, like their body changes, you may not like mark the same way or your biochemistry may not respond yeah. the same way. Yeah. And so play tends to escalate and becomes edgier. Mm -hmm. And then people are open to trying more extreme things because they, you know, it, it, it almost sounds addictive, but I was going to say anything could be addictive, right? It's all about how you use it. If you're using it, yeah. if you're using it to run away and not to just, you know, have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah or to learn about yourself, yeah. Yeah. anything can be used the wrong way. Because I've also met people who want to physicalize all their emotional stuff and, and don't deal with 
with any emotions because they want to physicalize it. Yeah. Away. Yeah. They're yeah. like, I don't, don't talk. I don't want to talk yeah. about the narrative. Like yeah. that. Yeah. I don't beat wanna, it out of me. I don't want to feel nice it. If you beat could it. Just out. Do that. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. But, no. It would be nice in the moment, but not the next time that comes up, right? Like because you can't. We want the quick fix. We live in a society that wants the quick fix. And it doesn't like the if you deal with it in that way, it only works for that moment. And so, yeah. that's it's not like you yeah. no longer have that problem. Right. right. Yeah. Like anxiety. Right. If yeah. I'm a little bit anxious and I learn to smoke it away or I learn to beat it away, mm-hmm. it, I'm hiding it. I'm covering yeah, it up. I'm not dealing with it. So the next time that same situation makes me anxious, it's going to be a lot worse. Maybe, yeah, because I didn't learn how to regulate through it. Yes, I, and I, I didn't even learn that this feels bad, but I can get through it. I can tolerate it. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. And so the well, more, that's the scariest thing to have to do is to have to just yeah. face it head on and say, okay, well, I mean, I'm just going to like jump in the fire here and I'm going to be okay. Like, cause that's what you're running from. Like is, and that's what the fear in your brain can build so much to the point of just avoiding and avoiding and yeah, avoiding. I use the analogy of the monster in the closet or the monster under the bed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, I have a great imagination. If there's like a shadow in the corner, oh my God, there's somebody there. It's scary. Yeah, yeah. The door is cracked a little bit open. If I go close the closet door, maybe I'll be safe. But the more you think about it, the more you focus on it, but don't actually look at it mm-hmm. and you try to avoid it. It becomes bigger and bigger till this big monster, and you turn the light on, and there's nothing there. Yeah. Right? So yeah. the turning the light on is facing it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the things that I've taught my eight-year-old around um, his fears of the dark is like, because this works for me, is like change your narrative about the shadow, right? And a ma- and, and, and feel more powerful than it. Create a story where you're more powerful than that monster where you can like um, imagine, okay, maybe, but then it's almost like the Harry Potter, like I'm going to make you look ridiculous, right? Um, make it, like make that monster ridiculous, uh, fit it in a box, uh, tie it up in a thing, you know, just like do something where you make a dance away, like create the story in your head that allows you to engage Engage with it from a different part of your nervous system that might feel more playful. Right. And that's why kink works. And I think psychedelics work with healing, right? Psychedelics, by their medicinal nature, shake up our ways of thinking. Our default mode networks aren't online. Yeah. They're suspended and now we have to make new connections. And then what we do after, and this is the difference I think between like recreational use and like spiritual or self growth use Mm -hmm. is, do we then integrate that? Do we take what we've learned and, and try to do the new way? that we just learned, the new yeah. way of thinking, then how do we practice that and ingrain that yeah. instead of losing it again? Otherwise, I can also make the rut that I was in before my medicine journey, I can fall right back into that rut and make it stronger yeah, if I don't change what I'm doing afterwards yeah. or how I'm thinking and the stories I'm telling myself mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, some, there's, there's so much... Um, potential right in in the arousal space created through kink and the um the neuroplasticity of of these um uh hallucinogenic psychotropic but i don't know are those the right words i think both of those were <laughs> yeah. right words yeah. um, um that that gives you a place to play with your own brain and body and like internal systems of understanding the, your world is like really fucking cool <laughs> and I think the same thing happens in scenes right yeah and we haven't even talked about like the voyeurism exhibitionist piece of it and we, when you have yeah. or even you know kink is a really big umbrella yeah. and you can have you know swingers and group sex and like the sexual piece of it too yeah because and then you can have the very non-sexual piece of kink where people are just watching or mm-hmm. performing um, but there's a lot of possible growth in that because it's not just with your partner that the healing is happening Mm -hmm. and that you're like oh wait maybe this thing that I believed about myself if I go through the world thinking I'm not attractive and my body it makes me unattractive I might continue believing that story and saying well this person my partner loves me because they know me Mm. but other people don't right and they're all judging me and I have to be a certain way yeah but when you're in scene especially when you're in a state of flow or what happens with subs is they can be in a state of flow and what's called transient hypofrontality. So that's when our prefront, our, our logical side shuts down. We mm. are flooded with emotion. We're in the moment. We get very fuzzy. We can't kind of think straight. Yeah. We kind of suspend all that overthinking. Yeah. And just be.
this interview has been fucking amazing. I think the work you are doing is incredible. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on and speaking with us and the work you do. And I'm fucking so glad I got a chance to meet and talk with you. Thank you so much. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was just felt like flow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank is you for there, having me. Is there anything I think left you want to kind of like um, point to that like emphasis that you want to just make sure that the people hear or is there a specific organization you want to shout out or, or anything? That well, I will of- shout out my leather family. So I'm part of the King <laughs> Collective and cool. we do workshops kind of based in this philosophy of people before kink mm-hmm. that who we are comes before what we do. Mm. Right. And um my leather family household heads are uh, Master Joshua and Miss Cat, and together we we travel and we do these workshops where we teach people how they can communicate openly without mm-hmm. any expectations that something's going to come of the conversation, but you show up authentically. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at like an intake form and and answer questions about yourself before you walk in the door, mm-hmm. and then it's an intensive like the one in New York and is in two weeks the second weekend of november at the lgbt center mm-hmm. um and it's 48 hours of non-stop work on yourself and introspection and then we teach you how to connect with other people mm. and i get to teach a class on age play and little space oh. and it's been different every time i've done it um i've had people who think you know pedophilia and this is a problem and yeah we talk about all that yeah, people's, it's, not, it's pe- not that. People's own childhood stuff comes up, and it can be really healing for them to talk through it because we hold the space for it. I hold the space for it. Mm-hmm. And I share from my own experiences. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a grown-ass adult, but I also identify as a middle who's somewhere from 12 to 16 majority of the time. Mm-hmm. And embracing that side of myself helped me heal from one of the biggest traumas, which was a breakup in my life a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And discovering my little side and feeding it and just letting go and enjoying it that's my creativity. That's where it lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's the part. It's almost like that internal family systems piece of like, that's the, you gotta like name and love and take care of that part of yourself. So, so this, that class led to the class that I'm teaching tomorrow, which is, um, self care and aftercare for everyone. Because in my leather family, we have a lot of people who do, and myself included, we use the things that kink introduced us to and gave us permission to Mm -hmm. like color. It's funny. Therapists talk about coloring and mindful coloring. But my first coloring as an adult was as through as little space, yeah. Yeah. as a middle space. So it's like we can take these things that bring us joy from another part of our life. Mm. And how do we re-engage in them as adults? How do we recreate the joy? Even if we had horrible childhoods, mm-hmm. where is that piece of something that intrigued you? Or the, what's the type of child? What, what would you have wanted your child self to do? And how mm-hmm. can you provide that for them? Mm-hmm. And so all that is self-knowledge. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. led to my class on how can you use kink for coping, and that's the self-care and aftercare one. Very cool. But for people right now, I don't have my own webpage yet. I'm working on that, hopefully by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, if people go to kinkcollective.net, okay. it has all what the events that My Leather Family is hosting and where we work, both in New York City and outside of it. We haven't worked on next year's schedule yet, but if people want to come, us to come to their town, like we're happy to yeah, invite, arrange it. Invite Kink Collective to your yeah. town to learn more. That's cool. Um, anything else that you want to plug or, or point out about your work? Not right now, but everyone stay tuned. Like, yeah. I hope, hopefully I will have uh, consultation groups for therapists and a training like that I can, impl- I can give online yeah. nationwide to folks where they can get CE credit regardless of uh, which degrees they have, which yeah. disciplines they're coming from to learn more. Um, and I hope so, also hope to be working with Prodoms as a consultant in yeah, the future because I feel like important. Very needed. people don't always understand trauma reactions when they show up in the room and and when your yeah. profession is high risk because of societies and the legal system. Um, it's hard to seek out help. From, you know, and, yeah, and people yeah. and unfortunately people who've experienced a lot of trauma sometimes react first and think later. Yeah. So oh, if you get course, sued yeah. or you someone calls the cops, like let's prevent that. Let's yeah. figure yeah. out how to recognize and address trauma early on. Oh my God, so fucking good. (laughs) Huge thanks to Shweta for coming on the show, for all the work that she's doing. Really treading new ground. Yeah. I would say, right? Like, because she's forging a path forward with uh, medical professionals, uh, with doms, 
with um, mental health professionals and trying to engage all these people who've it's been like not okay for them to work together right because it's such a pathologized group it's such a you know sex work is this really taboo thing and so she's saying yeah fuck it let's just let's play together and let's learn from each other and let's know our shit yeah that was know our shit and and if we're going to be in psych we should know our shit yeah and that's something I, I can't emphasize enough. I'm such a huge fucking fan of this human being. <laughs> no, she um, was, and she's fucking adorable. Yeah, that's all we've got. Thank it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, I, I can't do enough thank yous. Thank you, Shweta, for coming on the show. It was a fucking blast having you. We would love to have you on again. Mm. You are fucking awesome. I think that's about it. We gotta we gotta do a shoot for my OnlyFans now. Oh yeah. So looking for. Oh, anyways, I am your co-host, Ori. Uh, my name is Elise. And thank you all for listening. No shames. For, no shames for kids. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to happen one of these days. You fucking doofus. No shames were kinked in the making of this podcast. <laughs> Such dumb. Such dumb. <laughs>